turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We come to a very familiar and famous passage where Jesus talks about the shepherd and the sheep. Let's read just the introductory paragraph and then two key verse sections. Beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us understanding of this passage. We thank you that Jesus stands down those who would reject him and even sees them as serving your purpose in sending him to lay down his life for his sheep. For he loves us. You love us in sending him. Help us to respond by recognizing and hearing his voice and turning to him to follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was a teenager, I had the privilege of going to Silver Cliff Ranch. It's a young life camp in Colorado. And while we were there, one of the activities one afternoon was to hike up a 14,000-foot peak in the Rocky Mountains. We began at about 8,000 square feet, and it was you know, quite a hard climb. It was slough, uh, tough slogging uh, to get there. But at the beginning, the leader said, but you're going to love it. The view up there is majestic. It is so beautiful. So they encouraged us as we began. Partway into it, as we were beginning to flag a little bit, they were saying, come on, come on. You'll be glad you did. The view from the top is amazing. And then as we got two-thirds of the way up, and we were really wondering, do we really want to keep working at this? Because you're going uphill all the time. They say, don't give up. Don't give up. You've got to see this. And finally, when we got to the peak, we came over the top. We looked over at more peaks in the Rocky Mountains, and it was indeed something I had never seen before. It was majestic. It was beautiful. And I was so glad I'd come all that way. Now, I ask you, what's the point of that illustration? That is part of the illustration. 
Can you tell me why I told you this? You see, the first six verses that I read to you, Jesus addressed to the Pharisees. Some translations actually put in there uh, that Jesus said this to the Pharisees. And even for the translations that aren't convinced, that was in the earliest texts. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees because he, taught, he, he refers to his sheep as they. And he's rebuking the Pharisees for their false leadership, for their leading the flock of God away from God himself. And he tells them this parable, but they don't understand what he meant. In verse 6, it says Jesus uses this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Well, let me explain my opening illustration. We've been slogging through the Gospel of John. At the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000, and that attracts us to Jesus. We want to come to a Savior who can take care of us and provide for us, who has compassion on the multitudes. But by the end of chapter 6, he doesn't feed them anymore. He calls them to seek the food that endures to eternal life, and they begin to desert him. In chapter 7, he said, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. It's tough slogging. We don't want to go down that road. It's the road of conviction of sin. But I told you, like my camp counselors told me, stick with this. The one who said this, the one who leads the world to a conviction of sin, is the one who came to go to the cross to pay the penalty of sin. Stick with this so that you can see the majesty of the grace of God expressed for us on the cross. In chapter 7, Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. I told you you would die in your sins. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. It gets even more intense. Stick with it. It's tough slogging. But we need to go through this part so that we realize the danger we're in. It's not just a concept, not just an adjective that we are sinful. It has consequence when we die in our sins and are eternally separated from God. But I reminded you, as did the counselors, two-thirds of the way up the mountain. Keep at it. When we get there, we're going to see the view is amazing. you got to hang in there. In the last chapter, Jesus described the blindness of the Pharisees as they saw his miracle of healing the man born blind. He made the blind man see, but they refused and shut their eyes at the evidence that was right before them that Jesus was truly who he came to be. And he was convicting them of their sin and their will willfulness in shutting their eyes to the evidence right before them. All of those are kind of negative passages, aren't they? Hang in there. Even this passage begins with more negativity than we might want. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. The first thing he says is not, oh, how I love my sheep and I'm going to give my life for them. He begins with the rebuke. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. You hear the rebuke in that? He's talking to the Pharisees. This isn't just an abstract lecture. This is an argument. They are pretending 
They have the pretense to assume that they have the right to judge Jesus when they're facing God the Son who came from glory to take on human flesh and become one of us. And they think they're judging him or rejecting him. He's saying you're leading God's people astray. You're leading the flock away from God who gives life. You're a thief and you're a robber. The thief jumps over the wall and steals the sheep. The robber takes it by violence. It's even worse. We can go back into the Old Testament. We don't have time to this morning, but you could go through many passages using the shepherd theme, often positively about how God is our shepherd. The 23rd Psalm is the favorite, but also rebuking the false shepherds in the Old Testament who destroy the sheep. That's a theme that the Pharisees should have been familiar with in the Old Testament as Jesus is using this theme this morning. Verse 2, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. He's just telling them an illustration of something they're familiar with, the, the whole setup. He says, the watchman opens the gate for him, or the gatekeeper in some translations, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There's this relationship, a personal relationship that we know Jesus is going to apply to himself. So now that we know the point that Jesus is making, we can read the story and hear the voice of Jesus, the call of Jesus. Is he calling your name, my name? Do you know him in this way? Evidently, in, the, uh, uh, in this day in the New Testament, there would be one pen with many flocks of sheep. And the shepherds would bring the, their flocks into the sheep pen, and then the shepherd would come to the gate, and he'd call out his sheep by name. It's like when you get home, your pet dog knows you. You call your dog by name, he comes running to you. That's the wonderful thing about dogs is unconditional love. You can have a lousy day, and they love you anyway. I don't know how to apply this to you cat owners out there. It's not quite the same. And I'm not applying this to dogs. It's the positive relationship of Jesus with his sheep and the shepherd calling them by name. We know where Jesus is heading with this. There's something tender and personal in this passage between the shepherd and the sheep, between Jesus and us. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. For they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run, run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they, the Pharisees, did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus explains it, and he applies two key points from this story from common life. Everything is not an analogy where one thing corresponds to another. He takes two things to apply to himself. And then the other things are kind of extraneous. Don't ask, who is the gatekeeper? Jesus doesn't say who the gatekeeper was. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. He's the way into the kingdom of God. He personally, not just a, a concept that he's teaching, not just an ethic that he wants them to obey, he personally is the door the gate that opens up the kingdom of God, opens heaven, opens eternal life to all who put their hope and trust in him. Verse 9, uh, verse 8, all who came before me 
were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Do you hear echoes of the 23rd Psalm there? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. All of that is echoed here. You come in and you go out. You live and abide in Christ and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In verse 10, which is one of my favorite verses of the Bible, I often recite just the second half because that's the blessing to us. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But to understand the context of Jesus, he's addressing the Pharisees and he's saying, you thieves, you're misleading the flock of God. You are leading them to reject me when I came to give life by paying the penalty of sin and opening the doors of heaven so that, that those who trust in me will find before God in judgment perfect righteousness given to them and their sins taken away forever. I am giving them life eternal and you're leading them to reject me? That's the thief. That's the robber. So the first application is Jesus saying, I'm the gate. He's the way. Well, how is he the way? How does he accomplish this? Then he applies it with the second part. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here he's going beyond the common story, but it kind of fits the common story. We know from the stories of David when he was a shepherd that he faced the wild animals to protect the sheep. He, with his bare hands, he fought off the bear. He fought off the lion. And God gave him the power to protect his sheep. The shepherd would, lay, would put his life on the line for the sheep. Jesus actually laid down his life for the sheep. So it's not far from the story. It's an application of the story that transcends the story. It's more magnificent than the earthly illustration of the shepherd with the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You Pharisees, you're in it for yourself. You're self-righteous. You think you're right before God. You love to look down on others. You see... That's leading people away from God, not to God, even as you're pretending to be leading people to God with the righteousness that you declare from yourself. Be obedient. Do the right things. We do the right things. Legalism is one way to lead the sheep away from God. In the Old Testament, we find the other way where the leaders would lead the people into the pagan religions that were around, the fertility religions that had temple prostitution, child sacrifice, all sorts of other atrocious things. You can lead away from God in the direction of licentious sin, immorality, uh, perversion, all sorts of things. We can't even go down all that list without just kind of feeling overwhelmed by it. And we sometimes think that's the only path of sin. And to get far away from that, we go to the legalist side. And the Pharisees were over there and Jesus is saying, you're robbing the sheep too. You're taking them away from the love of God who demonstrates his love in sending me to pay the penalty of sin. Don't do that. It's a rebuke to the Pharisees when he says, 
Uh, that's, you're just a hired hand. You care only about yourself, not really about the sheep. In verse 14, he reiterates, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the gospel. Now, they might not have known yet all that that meant, but we do. We know that Jesus went to the cross, and they didn't catch him and crucify him because he couldn't escape. He gave up his life voluntarily, willingly. It's what he came to do. When his time came, he gave himself over to such abuse, such mocking, such suffering, such scourging, such a death. And he accomplished atonement for sin. Atonement means the price, means the price is paid. It's, the debt is covered. And he said at the end, it is finished. It is accomplished. He had paid the debt in full. That's what is, is uh, all in this phrase. He says, I laid down my life for my sheep. Then he says something in verse 16 that is a foretaste of the Great Commission. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, not of Israel. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. This is a gospel not just for Israel. He's not the Messiah just for their people, but for the whole world. And the conclusion of it is, I have many flocks all over the place. He says, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Those who belong to Jesus from all over the world, all the nations, all the languages, all the tongues, we are one body, the body of Christ. And we belong to one Savior who made atonement for sin. And we will stand before God and he will present us to his heavenly Father as a radiant bride, another image uh, of the people of God that are perfectly adorned with his holiness. And that breaks down the, the dividing walls between us. Our old natures are still there. We still have lots of problems. There's still uh, conflicts. There's still strife. But the answer to the conflicts between people in this world is when we repent of our sin and turn to our Savior, he draws us together and makes us one. Verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Think of all the times that we have noted already where the Bible says his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. They were trying to kill him, but his time had not yet come. When his time had come, he laid it down of his own accord. At these words, verse 19, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? Some were beginning to hear his voice. It might have been uh, young faith. It might have even been kind of the, the presages of faith because the crowd ended up deserting him when, when the leaders uh, on Friday, uh, on the Thursday, uh, before he's handed over to Pilate, said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Those who were loyal to Jesus backed off and were quiet, were afraid. So we don't know how far they got in their faith. 
But I believe that this is the, the beginning of faith in these people's lives. Many did believe uh, in him. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. This is a slightly different occasion, but on the same subject, and you'll see why. Jesus was in the temple, uh, temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Yeah, right. They have been after him from the start because he was talking about my father. He was claiming oneness with God. They accused him of blasphemy already. They knew it. They just wanted him to say it in the temple area where they could say, see, see, this is blasphemy. They were spiking the case against him. They weren't genuinely interested. As we looked at the, the chapter last week, they were committed against Christ. Tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe in me because you are not my sheep. He goes back to the story at the beginning of the chapter when the shepherd goes to the gate and calls out his sheep by name. They know his voice and they come to him. But those who just refuse to see don't come. They don't have a new heart. They don't have uh, the, the work. They have their old heart that just wants to live for themselves, promote themselves, cling to their position, cling to their lives, but in seeking their lives, they're losing their lives. Instead of giving up their lives to Christ and finding life that he came to give to them. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If you're looking for verses to memorize, if you're not, you ought to be. But if you are, this is a great passage. It'll come to mind at tough times when doubts come, when you are struggling with something, to, to just have, this, have the Holy Spirit bring this verse to mind. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He's the great shepherd who came, and when there's many who think they're righteous in the fold, but there's one lost out there, he goes out to find the one lost sheep. And then when he finds that one lost sheep, there is rejoicing when he brings them home. Moreover, the one that comes to repentance and to faith than the many who think they don't need him. They find security in themselves. This is the tenderness of our shepherd. I know him, and they follow me. There's a tra changed life. Those who just give lip service to Christ and still live for themselves, who go to church and then go out, you know, you go to church to worship God and you live like, you know what, throughout the week. You're not really living for him. That's a, a, a godliness in outward form, but not true godliness because of those who truly know Christ Follow him. You want to live for him. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I love that you know, this is the conclusion, but because if it's just, and they follow me, and if they follow me well enough, they'll make it to heaven. That's not what the verse says. 
we have the heart to follow Christ, but we know our, our weakness. We, the, the gospel should make us humble because we've admitted our sin. We know our failures. We know our inadequacies. We don't present our righteousness to God. We say, thank you, God. You, I'm convicted of my sin, but you have given me your great love through the Savior that you sent into to the world who, gave, who laid down his life for me. My trust is not in my faith. My trust is in my Savior. And when their trust is in our faith, we might think, am I following Christ well enough to be sure I go to heaven? That's ill-placed faith. But if our trust is in our Savior, then we ask, is there any sin that is so great that it cannot be forgiven by Christ's atoning work on the cross? Is he sufficient to cover it all? The answer is yes. Is there any sin so small that I can excuse it and say, I don't care, I have license to sin because I have forgiveness? No, because Christ's sheep, his people, hear his voice and we want to follow him. That's evidence of real faith. But our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in our Savior who will never lose us, not one. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is speaking with all the power of his deity, united with the Father in heaven, that he will not lose us. That's where our assurance comes from. That's where our security comes from. But those who were not uh, his sheep were angry about this. Verse 31, again the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Now we've gotten to the peak of the mountain. We've seen the glory and majesty of the grace of God demonstrated in the love of Christ for us in his laying down his life for us. We're coming down the mountain again. When I went up that mountain in Colorado, we went up the gradual uh, way, and we came down the steep way. We came down in like a fifth of the amount of time as it took us to get up. And coming down, we descended quickly. We're coming back to earth here in this passage, and we're coming back down to the conflict. Those who are rejecting Jesus, and he hasn't yet uh, made atonement for sin. He hasn't yet... Uh, He's broken the power of death in his resurrection. He hasn't yet ascended into heaven. He's still down with us in this fallen world. And he comes back down uh, the mountain into all the conflict. And they pick up stones to stone him. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? This time, other, in other places, his time has not yet come, so he just slips away. They can't get him. This time he hangs in there and he addresses them. For which of my miracles do you stone me? For making the blind man see? They can't answer that. We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Instead of saying, how can you do these things except you come from God? Hmm, that's what they should have said. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, I'm not going to develop that passage. This is kind of an exegetical uh, chess match between Jesus and the Pharisees where he's, he's, he's not using this passage to say, I'm not really uniquely the son of God. He really is uniquely God the son. But he's testing them kind of with the methods that they use, just pulling a text out where just as we say, to all who receive Jesus, to these he gives the right to be called children of God. You're a son of God. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter of God. But we're not claiming to be God the Son. 
But Jesus uses that kind of text to confound the Pharisees. They kind of say, say what? Say what? They don't know the scriptures as well as they think they do. So he just pulls out kind of a, a passage and technically applies it to them. And he makes them pause. And in verse 37, he uses that pause. He says, do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles. They said, we're not stoning you for the miracles. He said, believe the miracles. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And the chapter finishes out that John never performed miracles but, boy, he was from God. His testimony about this Jesus is true. He's done everything that John said. We've come back down the mountain, back into the conflict. But we don't end at the low notes. When I got down from that mountain in Colorado, I enjoyed reflecting on that day. Why? Because of the majestic vision I saw at the top. As we've gone through this passage, we remember that we have a great shepherd who came and faced this kind of rejection for us on our behalf, who went to the cross and paid the penalty of sin to open the doors of heaven. And that life that he gives us that can never be taken away, that we have securely because he has a hold of us and no one can snatch us, not even death can snatch us from his hand. Because we have that life, we can face the insecurities of this life, the mortalities of this life, the specifics of things like coronavirus. This is not just a sermon for coronavirus time. Every day of every year of, of all of our lives, we face this. And if we think we can hold on to it, then we'll just lose out. We'll lose our lives. But Jesus came to give us life. He came, us, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That fullness begins now, no matter what your circumstance is. And it lasts forever. Not even death can take it away. Do you hear the voice of your great shepherd? Do you know him? And he knows you. Do you have that relationship where you say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love in sending your son. We thank you, Jesus, for your great love in laying down your life. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being at work in us and that we can hear the voice of Jesus calling us to put our faith and trust in him, to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who gave his life for us. And Father, if there's anyone who is, is listening to this and doesn't quite yet know what we're talking about, and is like the Pharisees say, what's he, what's he saying? What, what's he talking about? I pray that you would open their eyes so they might see, open their ears so they might hear. Give them hearts that would respond that they would beat with faith and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.